Welcome to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this new message from Pastor Brian Gibbs. I flew in yesterday from Washington, D.C., and it's so good to be home with my wife and kids. (laughs) It's so great to be home with you tonight. What a beautiful night. God is so good. God is so good. Father, I just want to thank you for your beautiful presence here. Thank you, Father. I believe, Father, that we want to release a very strong commission into every life tonight. I pray that there will be such deep gravity. Lord, and there will be an impartation of your heart upon every individual, Lord. Help us to see tonight, Lord, and ascertain, ascertain your call, and let us see ourselves saying yes and moving into your divine call. Thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon every life. And I I ask you for that increase upon their lives of favor and anointing and wisdom and understanding and counsel and the knowledge of your will. I thank you, Lord. I pray that you you would impart your courage into our hearts tonight, Lord. real faith, a real steadfastness, Lord, to grow, to be willing to change, to be willing to be redirected, to, to, to adapt, to be retooled, to be recalibrated tonight for the road ahead. Give us courage, Lord. May we be transformed by your Spirit. bless this word tonight, Lord. I pray you help me. I pray you help me to do a very good job of releasing this word, Lord. You know how tired I am. But I just resist that, even the tiredness right now. I resist it. And I thank you that your word is burning and alive in me, Lord. I thank you that your word is like fire in my bones. I thank you that the people are ready to hear and they're ready to receive, Lord. You are good. You are good. Amen. You receive that tonight? Amen. I'd like you to grab your Bibles if you would. I'd like you to go to Joshua chapter 5. I'm going to go to a number of places of Scripture tonight. But I thought that this would be a good grid to begin to impart and see how the Lord begins to direct us. And as you're turning to Joshua chapter 5, I just want to praise God for all that the Holy Spirit has done and all the grace and all the favor and the goodness of God that has been poured out for us to launch victory. It really has been a miracle. Truly, it's been a miracle. God's grace has been abundant. His favor has been with us. His goodness has been upon us, 
And I want to thank you for beginning the journey with us. It's been a magnificent first year. I'm looking forward to celebrating and celebrating big the goodness of God. Secondly, tonight, I want to thank my wife. I know that my wife has just slipped out, uh, but I, I want to thank Bren. I've already thanked her in private, but I wanted to thank her publicly, and I want to thank all of you for sending me and praying over me and praying over me daily as I was in Washington, D.C. throughout this entire week. I want to thank you. I knew you were praying, and you're an amazing family. Thank you. I love you. I appreciate you. Um, the local church is so important, you know, isn't it? It's so, it's so vitally important. The local church, I love the local church. I love pastors. I love churches. And there's nothing like the local church. And I want to thank you for being my family, covering me, loving me, but sending me. Thank you. Amen? Amen. Joshua chapter 5. I want to talk to you tonight about being hope reformers. Hope reformers. And I think I've got a lot to say tonight, and I think I've got a lot of things that I could say that I won't say. And I think I'm going to purposely neglect things that I shouldn't say. Um, Because I'm an individual who doesn't like to give the devil place. You're going you're gonna to get a bigger picture of what I meant by that in a minute. In Joshua chapter 5, this is very interesting, the scenario that begins to unfold in the promised land. And, and um, we'll skip over the, the circumcision so all the men won't be uncomfortable tonight <laughs> and begin to recross their legs. And it gets kind of funky and weird. And, and, but let's just go to verse 12. <laughs> and then the manna ceased on that day after they had eaten the produce of the land. So now they're in the promised land. Now the manna has ceased. And the children of Israel no longer had manna. You see that? But they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Watch this. Well, then it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and he looked. And behold, a man, capital M, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and he said, are you for us? Or are you for our adversaries? And he said, no. <laughs> now, I love that. There's two questions there. And the Lord can answer two questions with one word. No. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, watch this, and worshiped. And said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, before we read on, I want us to get a prophetic grid for where I believe that the Lord wants us to stand tonight. And have an understanding tonight. First of all, we need to understand that this was the Lord. That this was just, was not an angel. How do we know that it was not an angel? Anytime a man fell before an angel and began to worship, the angel would stop them. 
according to everything we see in Scripture, if anyone ever fell before an angel and began to worship, immediately the angel would stop them and say, no, do not worship, for I am but a fellow worker with you. So you need to see that it was the Lord, and the Lord gave him the instruction, yeah, you're doing what is right here. Go ahead and keep worshiping. And by the way, you need to know this place is now holy. So go ahead and kick off your, your shoes. I almost said your feet. I think that's impossible. I believe in miracles, but that's a little, I mean, that's, that's. Go ahead and kick off your shoes, right? For the place where you're standing is holy. And so then the Lord came. And he gave him a battle strategy, a warfare strategy on how they were going to begin to take the city of Jericho. He gave him a warfare plan, a warfare strategy. This is how you're going to do it. And I'm going before you. Now, <clears throat> Joshua had never seen the Lord this way before. And I just want to draw attention to this because you got to remember, Joshua was Moses' apprentice. He had seen the Lord in the pillar of cloud by day. He had seen the pillar of fire by night. He had, he had experienced the tangibility of the glory of the Lord as he would be at the tent. Remember, it would, it, the scripture tells us that Moses would leave the tent, yet, yet Joshua would stay at the tent door or the gate, and he would just wait. He was a lingerer. There's something about a, a person who becomes a lingerer who will be taught the ways of God and the glory of God and the anointing of God. You've got to be a man or a woman who lingers and stays. And so he had lingered. He had stayed. He had set himself apart. He had served Moses, but now he is encountering the Lord in a way that he had never encountered the Lord, and the Lord comes as the commander of the armies of God. This is awesome, isn't it? I want to go to this question. You know, Joshua was a warrior. He comes up on the Lord, and the Lord has his sword drawn in his hand. Don't you just hurdle over that real quick. You think about that for a moment. The Lord has his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua says, hey, man, uh, who are you? Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Could you imagine getting that answer? No. <laughs> no. Here's what I want to give to you tonight. This is where I want to set it so that we have a proper foundation, okay? We have to be a people who is on the Lord's side. Sometimes we are presumptuous to say that the Lord is on our side. I think the Lord can only be on our side to the degree that we have His heart burning within us. Does that make sense to you? I think sometimes we're a little presumptuous when we say that God is on our side. I understand that we're sons and daughters of God, but we need to understand our allegiance is not to a side in this dimension. Our side is to an eternal kingdom that will never know an end. We have to be on the Lord's side. He said, are you, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? He says, no. I'm coming to lead and take over. And so Joshua had to say, oh, uh, <laughs> I'm getting schooled right now. <laughs> I'm on your side, Lord. That's right. 
I think that's really important because as I began to engage this, this calling to go to Washington, D.C., I wasn't there to take sides. I was there to represent and be an ambassador of the Lord's side. That I stand with the Lord. That I stand for His word. That I stand for His authority. I stand for His covenant word. Listen to this in Psalm 144. This is out of the Passion Translation. (laughs) I love this. Psalm 144 and verse 1. It says, there is only one strong, only one safe and secure place for me, and it's in God alone, and I love him. He's the one who gives me strength and skill for battle. Everybody see that? He's the one who gives me strength and skill for battle. Now... Much of the church would like to keep its head and its heart buried in the sand and throw everything up to the sovereignty of God and say, Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future is not ours to see. I can see an, an old, you know, it, I'm seeing that that doesn't resonate with the younger generation. It's like they don't even know that song. They're kind of looking at me sideways. Let me say it to you like this. The body of Christ for too long has believed that God is in control. The body of Christ has believed in the sovereignty of God in such a way that God is in control. And so they buried their head in the sand and their hearts in the sand and just believing that everything will work out for our nation because God's in control. And I'm going to tell you, that's really ignorant. And it's foolishness and it's unwise. The Word of God says in Psalm 115, verse 16, says, The heavens, even the heavens, belong to the Lord, but the earth He has given over to the sons of men. God has given us authority. You know, Augustine is quoted for, St. <clears throat> Augustine is, is quoted for this statement. That without God, we cannot. Hear this. Without God, we cannot. But without us, God will not. You hear that? So what does it mean? Without God, we cannot. But without, without us, God will not. That means it's a divine partnership with us and God. It is, it is when a man cooperates with God that things actually get done. If I, if I just waffled around my house and just said, well, God's in control... You know, my, my kids will get it. One day, they'll just get it. And if I didn't father them, boy, I'd, well, we'd have a messed up family. Hello. But if I walk in my authority and I, if I walk in my authorization and my sphere of authority and if I instruct and if I teach and I rebuke and I correct and I edify and I lift, then, then guess what? They're going to be fathered and know where they're going. See, it's a partnership. It's a cooperation between us and God. It's not all God, ladies and gentlemen. It's you and I. And that, it is you and I together continually saying yes to the Lord. The Lord has been, He has been so patient with every one of us on our journey. 
He has continued lovingly courting us on the journey for us to learn how to keep saying yes to God. Because the more that we say yes to God, the more that we are conformed into the very image of Jesus. The more courage we get, the more we are transformed. You see? And so as long as you say yes, I, I often say this. I know it bothers people. God will only take you as far as you can go. Do you have a Bible for that, Brian? Yes, I do. Since, since we were talking about Joshua and Moses, you know that there was a generation that came out of bondage from Egypt. And guess what? God could only take them as far as they could go. And, and the Bible actually says that their carcasses, it's not a nice picture, but it's what the Bible says. Their carcasses lay dead and waste in the desert. There was people that was looking and, and had a destiny moving forward. And there were those that were longing for what was past. And they had no destiny. And they couldn't be changed and transformed. So Moses actually had to pastor those people until they just died. Wow. But then he was pastoring other people that were going to apprehend a greater day or a greater era. That the people of God would go into and they would seize it. How would they do it? It had to be a cooperation between the Lord and his people working in tandem. The Lord had to come. Here's the strategy. I'm with you. I go before you. You need to see me as the one who is coming to take charge and to take over. Are you on my side? Well, it's fierce. Are you seeing that? So, I'm trying to establish some things in here tonight. So, I was invited to go on an assignment with Dutch Sheets. And many of you know that Dutch is an apostle to this nation. He's a dear friend of mine. We've been friends. My wife and I have been friends with Dutch and Cece for years. But he's an apostle in my life. He's a friend in my life. He's a, he's a leader in my life. And on my birthday... I received the invitation from Dutch just a couple weeks ago to go to Washington, D.C. on an assignment to begin to intercede and pray for the Supreme Court. And I know that many of you here have followed that journey. One of the things that the Lord has done in my life on the journey, as long as I've continued to say yes to Him, He's continued to open more doors. And as I've been courageous to say yes to the Lord and continue on, he's been, he's been able to give me more assignments. It's what the Lord wants to do for all of us. We want to be an apostolic company of people that God can send us and launch us and commission us into new assignments. Come on, amen. So we specifically went to pray truly for reformation and for cleansing of the Supreme Court because we believe that a divine alignment is going to happen to the Supreme Court that's actually going to usher in a true reformation of this nation. God has not only called me to the church mountain, but he's called me to the government mountain. And this is important. Dutch has been quoted to say these words, and some of you know these, but he said, the greatest stronghold in the enemy that of, of the enemy ruling our nation has been the Supreme Court. He goes on to say, there has been no gate that has allowed more evil to enter into our nation than the Supreme Court. Wow. 
I, I want to give an understanding tonight that, that regardless of what you believe about Donald Trump personally, that one of the most important assignments that Donald Trump has on his life is to install God-fearing, covenant-keeping men and women on the Supreme Court to position us to align ourselves and realign us for the prophetic destiny of America to be fulfilled. It is a reformational work. It is a reformational shift that is happening. And the leadership team that actually that, that God assembled were so mature, they were so seasoned, they were so sharp, they were not overly bent political, they were on the Lord's side. Now these are not talking points from, from Dutch or anyone that was around me, but I kept hearing Joshua 5, and I was declaring Joshua 5 while I was there, Lord, I am on your side. I am here to stand with you. I am here to engage for you as your ambassador. The, um, the atmosphere of the Senate hearings were really wild. And I, so many of you were texting me, and I, I, my phone was just constantly full. And so some of you I was not able to write back. Some of you I was able to write back. But some of you were watching, and you were seeing the chaos. And you were seeing the circus, and you were seeing the obstructionist. And it was quite a diabolical plan. And it was a plan that was very mapped out. It was very methodical, and it was well-funded. Tonight, rather than go on about what the enemy was doing, I want to declare to you the enemy's time is short. The enemy has been mocking and ruining the day over the church for many decades of this country. But God has dealt with the church in such fierceness, with fierce love and judgment. He started in this house first. I'm talking about the church universally. For judgment begins where? It begins in the house of God. God has been thoroughly cleansing the threshing floor of the church with the fire of his holiness and with the launderer's soap. That's what Jeremiah calls it, that the presence of God, that burning, God is like a burning fire. He is like the laundering. So he has been cleansing thoroughly his church and preparing us so that we could be healed, so that we could be forgiven of our own sins from our own dismissals, so that we could actually walk in holiness and ascertain a greater day for which we're called to right now. The enemy's time is short. His time is short, and he knows it. He knows it. Things are about to change in this nation greatly. We're entering into truly a reformational work. <clears throat> lawless, lawless people, folks, have long decided that they're going to stand with evil. And these God-hating people, they're afraid for what is coming. They're afraid. We had a moment in, um, in our time, and I want to kind of give you a picture of where we were at in the Senate, the Senate building there, Hart Senate building. The hearing was on floor number two, and we had the privilege of actually going into the hearing. I was sitting about seven feet from 
Brett Kavanaugh in the meetings in rows two, three, and four in different times. I, I, I could never have imagined the Lord would have opened this level of door. In fact, the Lord so favored me and so blessed me that I was literally able to take hold of Ashley Cavanaugh, Brett's wife, and literally speak a word into her life and pray over her. She lit up. She lit up like a Christmas tree. Go ahead. Go ahead. She lit up like a Christmas tree and grabbed hold of my arms and said, thank you. Thank you. If it was only for that reason, it was worth the journey. I'm amazed, though, I was able to take her in my arms and pray a word and speak into her life. It was the Lord. The Lord orchestrated. The Lord deserves all the glory. I was just his ambassador standing on his side, strengthening her, reminding her to be courageous, to be bold in God. And I told her that there's millions of Christians from coast to coast praying for you right now to be bold and to be courageous. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Don't you give up. <laughs> I, I didn't plan on saying this. I'm going to say it. I told my wife in private, but I'm going to tell you. I said, Bren, I, this is so strange, but when I was looking into Ashley's eyes it was almost like she was seeing the Lord. And I, I, I say that in humility. I feel, like, I feel like the lion of the Lord in me was just empowering her and taking hold of her. I, I was actually surprised how bold I was in that moment. I was like, dear Jesus, somebody's praying for B. Gibbs up in this place. <laughs> it was wild. I want to explain to you just a, just a couple scenarios. We had a we had a prayer command center on the ninth floor, and the hearing room was on the second floor. And um, early in the meetings, I had the privilege of meeting with Jensen Franklin and his wife, which was such such a great privilege. Such a, I absolutely I mean Jensen Franklin is one of my heroes, and um, when he came walking into the room. I'm, like, what is going on here? And just walked right up to me, and we began to connect. And it was so beautiful. It was actually him and his wife's anniversary. And they spent the entire day for over 14 hours in that hearing room praying. That's how they spent their anniversary. Folks, you know how serious people are about their God-given assignment? You know how much people love this nation? You know how much God is raising up apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers, evangelists, and intercessors and people? Come on! They're that serious! There they were, sitting just... Feet away from me, just praying in the Spirit, interceding, praying for Brett, loosing the angels of God, squashing the resistance and the obstructionist. I'm going to tell you, it was such an education to be in that room. Oh, wow. It was an education to be in that room. But it was the greatest privilege and honor to be in that room to pray and to release the fragrance and the goodness of God and pray over Brett. I'm, I'm humbled even saying it. I come out of five days like that, and I'm in a whirlwind. It's like, how do I even begin to express this to the people I love? Man. But Franklin, uh, I, I was on a particular break, and I was up back in our prayer center, 
And Franklin ran out of the elevator, and he said, we need all of you right now. He said, something has really shifted in, in the room, and we need to get all of you in there now. And so we got ready. We were down the elevators, and we got in. And at that point, um, we weren't seated in the first four rows there. We were sitting, be- sitting behind the press in the back four rows. And our team got situated, and we began to pray. And you know what, when I say we began to pray, it's not like we walk in and we just take over the room. It's like we sit in there silently and we're praying. You understand? But then this group, this group came in and they were a group that was there to cause riots, cause obstruction, cause chaos. They came on to that side of the room and we saw them coming in and we knew the lawless ones had, had come to rue. And so we were praying, and you could see the cops literally like a teeter-totter just shift from our side of the room. The cops just surrounded all of them and was just watching them as we began to pray. Well, it, it didn't take much time, and they exploded and just went bananas. And I, I watched the cops. In fact, in this, this one scenario that I was in, I actually helped the cops grab a hold of this individual. I just grabbed my arm and just hit the road, hit the bricks. <laughs> actually, it was, it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> I have to say that. It was fun. But I saw something, and I saw, I saw Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. It says, give no place to the devil. I want you to say that right now with me. Give no place to the devil. Let's say it again. Give no place to the devil. you got to be firm in this. You can't, give the, you can't give the devil any place in your life. You can't give the devil any place in your marriage. You can't give him any place in your kids. You can't give him any place in the family. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We can't give the devil any place in our city. We can't give him any place in our region. We can't give him any place in our government. When I was sitting in that context, you know, law is for what? It's for lawlessness. Law is for lawlessness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so the moment that they would explode, the law would go into work, grab them, and drag them to where their voices were never heard again. It was a beautiful picture. And I thought, Lord, as long as I live, I will never forget this. In fact, I will be going back pretty soon uh, when Amy Barrett steps into her place to move into the Supreme Court. Hallelujah! It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Glory to God. We are part of a reformational time and an hour. It's amazing. It's amazing what the Lord is going to do. And I'm going to say it again. Regardless of what you think of our president, one of his greatest divine assignments, not the greatest, I think he's already fulfilled that, and that was making Jerusalem the capital. (laughs) Hallelujah. I believe that was number one because he just aligned our nation with God Almighty and in his covenant. And God said, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, here's my blessing. But I believe it's one of President Trump's greatest assignments from the Lord to put God-fearing men and women upon the Supreme Court to bring us back. Folks, I, I believe in our lifetime. I believe in our lifetime, truly. This is what we're praying for. We're going to see abortion abolished, completely abolished.
People that have positioned themselves and aligned themselves with evil, they're afraid of that day coming. Tell you about another scenario that happened. Um, I was upstairs in the prayer center, and I'm telling you, I heard the Lord. It wasn't audible, but it felt like it was audible, Mark. I heard the Lord, and he said, get down on floor one right now. I walked right over to the elevator. I went down, and I walked out, and CBN News was there. Pat Robertson's granddaughter, Abigail Robertson, was on the floor, and her filming guy that day on video was Mario. And they were surrounded by some vile people. And there was a crew of lesbian women there that were saying the most filthy, most vile things over her, things I would never even, never even repeat because I don't want to give the devil no place. But in their filthiness, I mean, I just, I just, folks, I'm telling you, I hate the devil. And I know that I hate the devil. I don't hate people. I hate the enemy behind these people deceiving them and destroying their lives and using them as vile pawns. I hate the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not. We do not. We wrestle against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. I came down and I saw how they had circled them and I saw how vile it was getting and I just walked into it and I just protected them as a pastor and as a shepherd and I just began to stand against them and stand in between them and the vile filth that was coming against them until the cops then came and took over. And amen. I felt so bad for Abigail Robertson. She's a young lady, probably early to mid-twenties. She, she was shaking, just, just trembling, trembling, shaking. And her video guy was, he, I mean, he was a buff guy. He was shaking up. I said, I'm going to stand right here, and I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to de declare God's blessing over you, and the peace of God is going to come. And I just began to cleanse that atmosphere as, as, as the police are just dragging people all around me, just dragging. I'm just releasing the presence of God, the goodness of God. I took a beautiful picture of them. You'll probably see it. You've probably seen it on my Facebook. You have no idea. That's just, that's just five minutes after I got done praying for them. Their faces look beautiful. You never know that even happened. It's what happens when you're on assignment, when you're commissioned from God. God just sets up the course for you to step into that place to partner with Him. I want to ask you to do something tonight. Now, this is not self-aggrandizing. I want to ask you to do something. If you have not bought this book, I want you to get this book. This book is about personal revival. It is about national awakening and generational reformation. If I'm going to be your leader, you need to know what burns in the core of my heart. If I'm going to be your leader, you need to know what burns in the core of my heart. I've served many pastors that have written books. You know what? I read them. I wanted to hear my pastor. Don't say, well, I'm not a reader. You just get over yourself. Get the book. <laughs> Buy the book. Read the book. Because you need to understand where we're going as a company of people. You need to understand the assignment. We're, we're going to be called 
we're being summoned actually. We are being summoned together by the Holy Spirit to engage in a time of incredible tense warfare. But we are going to go in the revelation of Christ's victory. We are truly on the winning side. I'm not talking about a color. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about we are on the winning side. His name is victory. Please get this. I want to tell you something that happened to me. This was back in 2014. My wife and I and our children, we were living in Dallas, Texas. And I spent 10 weeks before the Lord. And the 10 weeks, my wife can tell you, the 10 weeks was full of fasting, praying, intercession, and weeping before the Lord. This, this, literally, this book came out of just encounters with the Lord for 10 weeks. I had a national prophet. While I was writing this book, I had actually just finished writing chapter 6, Calling All Reformers, and chapter 10, Let Hope Arise. Chapter 6, Calling All Reformers. Chapter 10, Let Hope Arise. And actually, I didn't even know what order to put these chapters in. My wife actually put together the chapters and said, that's the order of the book. I just, I literally wrote the chapters out of the encounters with the Lord, and they were laying out in our living room. You remember that, honey? They were laying out in our living room. I know my, mo- my mom and dad are watching. They'll remember. And, the, and, and the, the papers were out. Every chapter was just in stacks of paper, and my wife put together the book. This, no, this goes here. She read through the manuscript. She said, nope, no, no, and she put it together. And chapter 6 became Calling All Reformers. And I had just written chapter 6, Calling All Reformers. I had literally just written chapter 10, Let Hope Arise. And I had a national prophet. Many of you would know his name. It's not important. But he, he called my cell phone. I saw his name come up on my cell phone. I thought, well, that's really interesting. He must have something to say to me. <laughs> so I picked up the phone, and this is what he said. He, he, you know, of course, we had some small talk. But he said, Brian, he had no idea what I was even doing. It came very quick. And this is what he said, and this is a quote. He said, because I wrote this in my journal as soon as I hung up, hung up the phone. I, this is right out of my journal. He said, Brian, God says that you are his hope reformer. And you and many others will be raised up freshly anointed for this hour to bring revival and reformation to America for a third great awakening. And you will lead a mighty company and you will empower them and you will teach leaders in this hour to bring hope back to America. And that was the word. I had literally just finished writing, calling all reformers and let hope arise. And the first thing he said, Brian, the Lord has a word for you. The Lord told me you are his hope reformer. Glory. Glory to God. I had a dream during the Republican primary. And I need to to go a few places tonight to lay some things into this message. I believe it's so vitally important. I had a dream during the Republican primary, and in this dream, I was in the White House. I was sitting in a small office inside the White House. This is in a dream. And I was on a small little sofa couch, and there was a a secret service man to my left, a secret service man to my right. 
And there was a little couch sofa just across from me, maybe five feet. And all of a sudden, the door in that office opened, and the Secret Service men stood up, and Hillary Clinton walked into the room. The door shut behind her. She sat right down in front of me and began to stare me down. And very boldly and in brazen, she leaned forward, and she said, Your prayers are not working. And I knew they were. And that's why I was there. She said, your prayers are not working. And she began to mock me. She began to mock me and try to intimidate me. And then she got up off of her couch and walked over to mine. And she put her knees onto my knees and her arms on my shoulders. And I sat perfectly calm looking forward. And she came down into this ear and she began to seduce. Filthy, seductively began to mock me and said, your prayers will not work against me. She climbed off of me. She sat down at the couch. I looked at her. And then suddenly the door opened. She stood up. The two secret servicemen stood up. They went out the door. I got up and I went out the door behind them. And when I got out to that out to that hallway, there was a group of about 25 or 30 millennial young girls, young girls, millennial girls. And when they saw Hillary, they just went bananas like they were seeing Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera or Mariah Carey. You know, they just went bananas and ran, just ran down the hallway around her and surrounded her. And I'm watching this happening. They're right in front of me. And Hillary, it was like, it was like, I remember Victoria taking her little Barbie dolls. You know, you could hold them at the ankles and just kind of twist them, and the hair would go beep, 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 beep. You remember that, dads, moms? She, she just started flopping her hair. Her hair just started bobbing all over, and she, she was just turning almost like a Barbie doll. And all of a sudden, her hair started turning iridescent blues, dark blues, silver blues, and she just kept going like this and shaking her head. Now, I see Jane's hair back there, so don't you dare take this personal. Because <laughs> I think your hair is beautiful, Jane, and you're my pioneer. So Hillary's hair started turning all of these weird shades of silver blues, iridescent blues. And the girls were just surrounding her, and I watched this happen, and they were just in awe of her, and she, she was smiling, and, and then she went down the hallway. And I was so grieved in my spirit in the dream. I was grieved. I was broken. And I turned from them, and they went down the hallway. And, and I, when I walked down the hallway, we're in the upper level of the White House. And I got down to a stairwell, and I was looking down the stairwell, and I grabbed a hold of it. And I said, oh, God, are you with me now? Are you with me? And suddenly this large feather, honey, stand up. This is amazing to me. This large feather manifested in front of me. Look at, look at my wife's. Look at that. In the dream, this large feather suddenly manifested in front of me. And inside the feather were, were these beautiful gems and jewels. And it came right down. And I, I just swooped down. And I grabbed hold of it. And I was looking at it. And I woke up. Soon after, the Lord began to give me a witness of, and an understanding of what was happening. How many of you remember the, the, the Disney movie of Frozen? How many of you remember the Frozen video? And it was her elders. It was, it was her elders that were speaking into her life, warning her not to come under the power of the witchcraft. And because she did not listen to their warnings, 
the little girl in Frozen came under the witchcraft. And when she began to give herself to it, remember the song, Letting Go, Letting Go? It was all about letting go of the wisdom she was instructed to, to not come under the witchcraft. She was letting go of their counsel and their wisdom and coming under the witchcraft. And when she came under the witchcraft in the movie, her hair began to turn all kinds of iridescent blues in different colors. And the Lord began to instruct me to come against the witchcraft and the spirit of Jezebel. The witchcraft and the spirit of Jezebel that Hillary was using against the millennials to keep them blinded and in a deception. And we began to pray with great intensity against that. Now i got to insert something else. During the Republican primaries, I told my wife, and I'm going on the record tonight. I told my wife I would, I would never vote for Donald Trump. Never. And I had a list of a lot of reasons. He bothered me. Oh, man, he bothered me. He, sometimes he still bothers me. <laughs> but I had a list, man. I had a list. And I told my wife, I said, I will never vote for him. That guy drives me bananas. I cannot stand him. Man, I was, I was so, you got to understand, you understand I'm walking in my divine assignment. You understand that God doesn't, he don't care if you're offended. He cares about his will getting done. I had to get over my own offense. That's what I'm saying. I had to get over my own offense. So I had a dream. I had a dream not long after the Hillary dream. I had a dream. And in this dream, my wife was in my left arm. And I was holding her, and we were in a room, and there was, there was a gathering of leaders, national leaders, and many of the national leaders that I knew. And I saw them in the room, and they all had their hands stretched around. This is a dream. They all had their hands stretched towards Donald Trump, and he was holding his wife, Melania. Is that how you say it? Melania. So he was holding his wife. And everyone was just intensely declaring and prophesying and praying and blessing him. And I was standing with my left arm around my wife. I was holding her very tight in the dream. And I had my right hand down to my side. And I was not blessing. I was watching. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the Lord just lifted me up over me and over Bren. And I could see the whole room. And I could see Donald Trump then-candidate Trump standing in the middle of the room, and I could see the intercession going on. And then I looked at myself, and in the dream, I literally came under the conviction of the Holy Ghost. And God said to me, Son, you have the authority in your life to either relinquish and hold your blessing, or you have the power and the authorization to give and bless and command your blessing. What will you do? And in the dream, I began to repent to the Lord for not praying for him. And after I repented in the dream, I stretched forth my hand in the dream. And I began to command the blessing of God over his life and protection around him and his wife and his family. And I was praying with authority. And suddenly I woke up and I was stunned. I was shocked by the dream. And I was offended by the dream. And I got out of bed, and I'm walking, and I'm, I'm teared up, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, Lord, Lord, what? What? Yeah, what? I could feel God's presence on me. 
my wife woke up and she's like, what is going on? What is, I said, I just had a dream. I tell her the dream. She was stunned. And I said, Brent, from this day forward, I make a commitment. I told her I repented to God. I, I repented to God. I told her, I said, I have repented to the Lord. And I said, from this day forward, I am committing to pray for him every day. Never, never knowing what would begin to unfold, that he would win the candidacy, that he would become the president. And many voices were, you know, many voices were declaring all sorts of things, you know, things that were even in contradiction. Why do I, why do I give these dreams to you tonight to have an understanding? I, give, I submit this to you tonight because I am walking in something that God has commissioned me to do. It wasn't pre-planned. It was not premeditated. I never knew how God was going to begin to usher us into this assignment for such a time as this. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. This is about God's dream over America. The hope reformers have not lost sight and hope of the power of the Holy Spirit. And they have not lost sight that God is going to put America back on track for its prophetic destiny. And what is that prophetic destiny? America has been called to herald the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only from coast to coast, but to the nations of the earth. I'm focusing on America tonight. And I want to say that we are living, we are living in an epic season. We are living in an epic Kairos time, literally biblical last days, literally biblical last days. We are making our way through epic battles, but we are coming, and we need to see this. We are coming to an epic crescendo of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords returning and establishing His throne and His kingdom on planet Earth. That's where we're rushing to. We are rushing to a time of the Gentiles being closed and established and finished and completed, and then God began getting to do His most masterful work to restore and save Israel at the end of days. We are rushing towards that time. It's amazing. I'm on the Lord's side. I said I'm on the Lord's side. Revival always begins in the heart. This book is about personal revival, national awakening, and generational reformation. Revival has to begin in your own heart, folks. It has to begin in your own heart so that God can begin to position you for the national awakening that we are literally coming into. And this work is not going to be a neat, sanitary work. It is very messy. Have you learned that already? It's very messy what's happening, but it it is a necessary messy. It's necessary. We are declaring and we are contending for a revival of this magnitude that will restore the hope of America. When, when I talk about the ultimate comeback, I want you to understand what I'm talking about. When I talk about the ultimate comeback for America, I'm not talking about our economics. Now, do, do I want the Lord to do that? Absolutely. I want the Lord to, re, to absolutely erase the debt of America. I truly desire that. 
do I want the Lord to remove the, the filthy, vile UN from the soil of America? You better believe I do. But what I'm talking about is an ultimate comeback means this. It literally means our prodigal nation who has been wayward has an ultimate turning. The, when I say the turnaround, see, and I want to be very clear tonight because some, they come in here and they don't know what they're coming into. You're not coming into a political environment in here. You're coming into a holy, righteous environment. But you cannot separate our moral obligation to what we're supposed to do and just throw up your hands and say, que sera, sera, the sovereignty of God and God is in control. Really? God's in control? And six 60 million babies have been aborted in 45 years. God is in control? Stop it. When I talk about an ultimate comeback, folks, I'm talking about a prodigal nation returning to our covenant-keeping Father. And a revival of this magnitude is our only hope. We are not here to try to have good services. We're not here just to have some good worship and have good church. We are in a season of crunch time and we are throttling up. We are throttling up. And your call and your purpose and your divine assignment to be an agent of change is so vitally important. You're called to be an agent of change. You have to find where God has called and appointed you. You have to know what mountain or mountains God has called you to take. And you've got to do it. You've got to do it. This, re this revival is the only thing, folks, that can save us from total apostasy and destruction. Now, I, want, I want to be clear here tonight. Listen, revival will not stop the judgment, but it will occur in spite of the judgment. I want to say that again. The revival will not stop the judgment. But the revival will occur in spite of the judgment. The revival actually may happen in part because of the judgment. But myself and other strong, trusted leaders that I am in relationship are confident in the promise of God that God is sending a national awakening to America. Donald Trump is in his divine assignment. Is he the answer? No, Jesus, Jesus is the hope of the nations. Matthew 12, 21. Matthew 12, 21. It says Jesus is the hope of the nations. He's the hope of America. Folks, don't hang your hat on Donald. He's in his lane. He has been trained. God has uniquely raised him up. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> And I'm praying for him every day. I'm praying for him every day. I'm not joking. I'm praying for him every day. When I went to the inauguration, I mean, I was the guy that said, I'll never vote for Donald Trump. I was at the inauguration, folks. My wife can tell you, I've got a picture of Donald Trump, and I've got a picture of Mike Pence that I walk through my house. My kids know this. They see it. And I pray for them, and I declare over them, and their pictures that we got in my packet for the inauguration. And I declare over them. And I loose the anointing over them. And I ambush the enemy's plot to come to nothing over them. 
This is what we're called to do. God loves this generation, folks. He loves the millions and millions of unsaved people. He loves the people, those, those, those young people. Oh, my gosh. That were rioting and going bananas and going berserk this week. Again, I don't, I don't want to give the devil place. I don't want to sit and tell you all the vile, filthy things I saw. We, we, we saw them outside even paying people, literally just paying people to get arrested and cause riots. One of my friends filmed it, and it went viral. Fox and friends called him and asked him to come on the program that next morning. And while we were up praying over him, Fox and friends called and canceled. We were so upset. We wanted that to go viral. so that, so that that See, America needs to understand the plan has to be unhatched. It has to be exposed. People got to see the corruption for what it really is. The enemy's overplayed his hand. <laughs> yeah. So I want you to go to Matthew 13 for a moment. Let's do this. Matthew 13. This is important. How much time do we have? I don't even know what time it is. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Help me, Lord. Matthew 13. <laughs> Matthew 13, this is important. I want you to write down in your notes, what is the harvest? What is the harvest? Matthew 13 and verse 24, let's begin to read together. Verse 24, another parable he put forth to them saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while the men slept, uh, his enemy came and he sowed tares among the wheat and he went his way. And when the grain was sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, The enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go then and gather them up? And he said, No, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you will, you will also uproot the wheat with them. You understand? Here we go, verse 30. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into the barn. Jump over to verse 38. The field is the world and the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. Everybody see that? This is strong language. I'm going to read that again. The field is the world, and the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and all those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine. Who? The righteous. Say it again. The righteous. Say it again. The righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear let him hear 
I've done some deep thinking this week. I've watched and observed things that I'm not going to try to explain to you. And I'm going to sit in the privacy of my home and tell my kids and my wife some of the stories that I've encountered. I don't feel I should do all of that. But I want you to understand, folks, I believe you understand. I do. I believe you understand. The harvest is the maturing of every seed that has ever been planted. In its most prophetic, simplest definition, the harvest is when a seed grows into its full maturity and then it's ready to now be received and harvested. We are seeing right now the growth of the full maturing of anointing, of righteousness, of integrity, of character, of holiness, of power and authority in the body of Christ. It is, we are growing into the fullness of maturity. But all the while, the tares are also growing in the fullness of their maturity. We've never seen a day like today. We are baffled every day the vile vomit of evil that is put before our children and before our nation it is it is a total abomination and it's literally shocking at times to our spirit what is happening what is it it's the harvest what what are we seeing before us you you need to be reminded tonight this is the harvest everything that has been sown is now growing up to its fullness and maturity. What did Jesus say? The day is coming when the Father will send forth the reapers. Who are the reapers? They are the angels. The angels will be sent forth into the earth. And what does it say? They will gather and they will pull up the tares and everyone who practices and loves lawlessness. This is sobering, isn't it? And they will be cast into an eternal burning furnace. I'm telling you, this week has been very sobering. I've had some divine confrontations with evil that was intense. There are ones that have aligned their hearts and seared their conscience. God-haters. God-haters. And unless they have a Damascus Road encounter, they'll be lost forever. I'm telling you, I hate the devil. I hate the devil. But then he said, the angels will gather the wheat, the righteous. The future belongs to the righteous. And they'll be shining forth in the kingdom of their father. Think about the day that we have to look forward to. Really, think about the day. Let your mind go there. In three weeks from now, We will be standing, many of us will be standing in Israel. And we will be standing on the Mount of Olives. And we will be looking there at the Temple Mount. And we will be standing where Jesus says in Zechariah chapter 14, Zechariah 14, that Jesus himself at the Battle of Armageddon will annihilate the enemies of all of Israel. And his feet will land on the Mount of Olives. And the ground will break open and burst open. And that eastern gate that is sealed up and where the Muslims have built their their graveyard, he will burst through there and that seal upon that gate will burst open and Jesus will walk upon that threshing floor and he will establish literally his throne on the earth. It's coming. 
We need to let our minds be renewed. We need to stop spinning out over the antichrist, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pan-trib. I'm telling you, the kingdom of God is coming with the king of all kings. We need to let our minds be renewed that the kingdom is coming. Pray this way, that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's coming, ladies and gentlemen. Can you believe we're alive in this hour? In this hour, we're alive. I believe we are the generation that will see Jesus coming in the clouds. Glory to God. I believe it with all my heart. I got a long ways to go tonight, but I got to wrap up. I got to wrap up. I want to make some declarations tonight, and, and in the next few moments, what I, what I feel like we need to do is I, I'm going to have you put everything aside. I'm going to have you stand, and I'm going to pray over America. I'm going to pray seven distinct things and blessings over America. I'm going to have you spread out, okay? I'm going to have you spread out throughout the room. You can get up here in the altar, too. Don't everybody go off to the side. Just congregate right in here, but just spread out a little bit and find a place. Tonight we're going to pray this. We're going to pray that America will return to, the, to its very roots in the Word of God. We're going to pray that God will heal our nation and its capital city so that righteousness will reign. We're going to declare these things. We're going to pray that God will raise up a vast army of watchmen to pray day and night for Washington and for our nation. That God will raise up His body across our nation for national revival and spiritual awakening. And I'm just going to give these scriptures tonight because I know it's going on video and I know that it's going on audio and it's going to be on our website and available soon. But we're going to declare, number one, we're going to declare Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy, just lift your hands all over the room. Let's do this together right now. Tonight I'm declaring out of Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 1 through 7. Tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we are declaring and we are praying and we say and we proclaim America shall return to its roots of the word of God. If you fully obey the Lord your God and if you carefully keep all his commandments that I give you today the Lord your God will set you on a high place above all nations of the world. We decree it and declare it to be so and to be established over America in the name of Jesus. We declare tonight Jeremiah chapter 33, right out of 33, verses 7 through 9 tonight. We pray that God, Sky, I need you to give him some keyboards. We pray tonight that God will heal our nation. And God will heal our capital city and its brokenness in Jesus' name. That righteousness will reign in Washington, D.C. The word of the Lord says this. It says, I will restore the fortress of Judah and Israel. And I will, I will rebuild their towns. And I will cleanse them of their sins against me. And then the city will bring me joy and glory and honor before all the nations of the earth. Lord, I declare that tonight with the family of God over Washington, D.C. You will restore this broken city. You will cleanse Washington of their sins against you. You will cleanse the city, God. And it will bring you joy. And it will bring you glory before all the nations 
of the earth. Come on, shout the victory over that. Tonight, we are declaring, come on with hands lifted, we are declaring out of Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60. We pray that God will raise up a vast army of watchmen to pray day and night in their cities across the nation for national revival and spiritual awakening. Here's the verse. Oh, Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen upon your wall, and they will pray day and night continually. Take no rest, all of you who pray to the Lord, and give him no rest until he completes this work. Lord, I thank you that you have raised up watchmen for Israel, watchmen over Jerusalem. And now, Lord, I pray from this very congregation, from this very family, that you will raise up men and women to be watchmen over the United States of America. Watchmen over Washington, D.C. Watchmen over our leadership. Watchmen over our president to declare the word of the Lord. Come on, lift up a shout tonight. Some of you, God is going to mantle. Some of you, God is going to mantle. He's going to commission you into that realm, that sphere, to begin to pray for the government, to begin to pray for our national leaders, to begin to pray for our military. He's going to specifically mantle you for that. Tonight, we're going to pray out of Joel chapter 2. Tonight, we pray for the spirit of of brokenness in our pulpits and in the church in every city across this nation. We pray that we will cry out for God's intervention. Tonight I pray Joel chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. The day of the Lord is awesome and it is a terrible thing. Who can possibly, possibly survive that day? That is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is yet time. Turn to me now while there is yet time. Give your hearts to me and come to me with fasting and with weeping and in mourning. Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus, that in this hour, you are able to turn our hearts fully back to you. That we will withhold nothing from you, from our hearts and our lives. We set ourselves into agreement. We set ourselves into alignment, God. Lord, touch us in such a way where we can pray and where where we can weep, where we can mourn, where we can be broken with the things that break your heart, oh God. Lord, give me strength in my voice right now. Give me strength right now in my chest. In the name of Jesus, we declare out of 1 Timothy chapter 2, We pray for those in authority. Come on. We pray for those in authority at every landmark to carry out their responsibility in such a way that it honors the Lord. Here's the word of the Lord. Verses 1 and 2. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them and intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings. And all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives. Come on, lift up your voice right now and begin to bless leadership. Begin to bless leadership right now. We cover them, Lord. We cover our president, oh God. 
We cover our president. We cover Mike Pence. We cover our military leadership, Lord, our Senate, our Congress, our representatives, oh God. Lord, that they would be led to the place of holiness and righteousness and repentance and brokenness before you, oh God. Shift their heart now, we pray. And we declare tonight, number six, we declare out of Philippians 2, we pray for a spirit of humility and servanthood to sweep across our nation's government structures and our institutions that both our capital city and our nation shall be saved. Come on, do you agree with that tonight? Come on, do you agree with that tonight? Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 5. Here's our verse. Lift your hands. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or out of vain conceit, but do it in humility, considering others better than yourselves. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Father, tonight we lift up our leaders in our governmental structures and institutions. And Lord, we pray that you would move in such a way by your spirit that you bring a spirit of brokenness and a spirit of humility. A spirit of humility and a spirit of honor, Lord, to return to you, Lord. A diligence to return ourselves to the word of the Lord and repent of our sins. And to heal our land. Here's our verse, Haggai chapter 2 tonight. This is our seventh prayer. We declare tonight and we pray that God will shake the very foundations of our government. He will shake the very foundations of our government in such a way as to remove all that displeases and all that dishonors Him. And that our government will display His glory across the land. Come on. Come on. Shake it, God. Shake it. Here's our verse. Here's the word of the Lord out of Haggai. This is chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. And in a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth. I will shake the nations. And what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. So, Lord, right now, we lift our hands and we lift our voice and we say, Lord, we are in agreement with you. Shake America and shake the nations. Shake America and shake the nations. Lord, if you have to give us a rude awakening before you can send a great awakening, I say go ahead and do it. Shake the nation, oh God. Bring us back to you, Father. Bring us back to you, Father. So, Lord, we just lift our hands into the north and the south and the east and the west. Pick a direction right now, victory. Pick a direction right now to the north, the south, the east, and the west. All over this sanctuary tonight, in the name of Jesus, we release the very righteousness of God and the mercies of God and the judgments of God. Lord, your judgments are true and they prevail. And we say, Lord, have your way and have your work in America. May the Spirit of God be poured out upon this land. 
We ask, Lord, for a turnaround. We ask for an ultimate comeback to you. We call a prodigal nation home. We call a wayward nation home in the name of Jesus to come home to the Father. And Lord, we pray now for an awakening, a revival and an outpouring of your spirit that is our only hope. And we pray, Father, that you position us in our place, in our lane, in our sphere of authority now to be the agents of change that you must commission for this hour. I know that your angels are standing with us, Lord, in this room. I know that they're with me even now, Lord. I know, God, you have called this house to be an apostolic center. I know that, Lord, you want to train this body and raise them up for such a time as this to engage, to bring the victory of our Lord. So, Lord, I say with this family, lift up the banner of victory, the banner of Christ over America. And may your rule and your justice prevail in our land. Father, tonight, once again, I ask you, concerning our Supreme Court, with this family, we stand together and we ask you for that reformational alignment in the Supreme Court in the name of Jesus, that you will give us God-honoring, God-fearing, God-loving men and women that will turn this nation back to God. The Lord, we would be willing to repent and denounce our legislation that has so broken your heart and wounded you, God. Turn us back, oh God. Turn us back to you, oh God. Let it be so. Let it be so. Father, I thank you that you are lifting and elevating and promoting people into positions and places of honor, places of authority to be a mouthpiece and a voice to prepare the way of the Lord. Let them arise and let them be courageous. And I pray that upon this house tonight, upon your life, God is preparing you. He's equipping you to be His voice, to prepare the way of the Lord. This is our hour of victory. This is our hour of triumph. This is our hour of turnaround. Come on. This is our hour. This is our time. Come on, church. This is our hour. This is our time. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on. It's late tonight. I want to say this. Listen, thank you. Look, look this way for just a moment. I got to give you my heart. Thank you for staying with me tonight. I mean, it's amazing. Brett Cavanaugh sat in that chair for 15, 16 hours. We were in prayer meetings 15, 16, 17 hour days. It's been exhausting. I can't even explain to you how tired I am. I try to do a good job tonight to impart this word. Thank you for staying with me. 
thank you for engaging. I tried to overcome even being exhausted and tired and give you this word. Thank you for staying with me and engaging. I'm telling you, God has a major call on our lives, on this house and for this city and for this region. I bless you, my wife and I bless you. We love you. Have a supernatural week in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to our website at victoryfla.com.